It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When we take control of our lives and our destiny. We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Did anybody actually see the two off the telly? in Jackie, Jackie Lennox's queuing up for the chips because the pictures were everywhere over the weekend pictures of them sitting in was it Fitzgerald's Park munching on their chips and the Jackie Lennox's bag up in the seat and so much photoshop nonsense going around you don't know what's real and what's not but did anybody actually see them in Jackie Lennox's over the weekend that's Sophie Vergara Joe Manganello I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly there was some awful divament going on in the old photoshop over the weekend putting them here there and everywhere but they were in Cork that that we know about <laughs> good morning 1850 we know that um, Neffet will meet today it's going to be a busy week before we know what actually happens on Friday later on this morning I'll be talking to Dr. Jack Lambert he's been a regular of ours on the show now for quite some time and to see where what he thinks we should do looking at the weekend we were supposed to have everything lifted bar a few bits and pieces Friday it doesn't look like that now uh, Taoiseach was speaking in Cork over the weekend and he was being asked what's going to happen Neffet will meet and then the committee will meet and then the cabinet will meet and then we'll get an announcement, we think sometime either tomorrow evening or Wednesday there'll be an actual announcement. We'll know it all, it'll be on the papers tomorrow. Uh, it'll be all, be all out tonight, it'll all leak like a sieve tonight, what's going to happen on Friday. They're saying nothing extra. They're saying nothing's actually coming back. What might happen is that some stuff that's already there might remain. Like we might have to end up using the vaccine pass until maybe Christmas. That's one of the things being being talked about in various in various uh, circles. Anyway, I'll chat with Jack Lambert about that later on this morning. But I would like to know what you think. Like, how would you feel about some restrictions uh, 
being kept. How would you feel about, like, if you want to go out Saturday night to the jazz or Sunday night to the jazz and you want to get into your favourite venue to see a bit of jazz and have a point or two, how do you feel about showing your pass at the door to get yourself in? And particularly if they do let the, the late night places open, how do you feel about showing your pass, for example, to get into Crane Lane for an extra few Swifties at one o'clock in the morning? How do you feel about that? Me? I don't care. I'm quite happy to do that. We have lots to do, though, over the weekend in the city. I think you were um, out at the weekend, Moirid, covering various uh, news stories, one of them being this Blackpool, this shooting in, in Blackpool. Um, what happened? Do we, do we know exactly what happened? Who was involved? Yeah, so it was a 25-year-old man, PJ, was shot and he was injured in his own home in Blackpool. So it was O'Mahony Square in Blackpool. Uh, so he was he went to hospital. He was operated on in hospital. Now, his injuries are not considered to be life-threatening. They are serious, though. Um, and the, the gunman fled the scene and a burnt-out car was found on at Kilnap, which is on the Old Mallow Road. Now, Gardaí are investigating whether this is linked. Could it have been the getaway vehicle um, for this incident? Now, I got in touch with the guards this morning. They have no further updates, so no arrests have been made. Their investigation is ongoing. It happened shortly after midnight, so Friday night into Saturday morning. Um, but but since this, a local councillor in the area, Councillor Ken O'Flynn, um, you know, he's hit out at Gardaí, mm. um, I suppose. So I'll just go through, I suppose, a bit, a bit about what Ken O'Flynn has been saying. So he said that Gardaí needed a larger presence in the area, so the Blackpool area. He was speaking to, to News Talk over over the weekend. So he said the locals are in a state of shock, completely understandable mm. so when one of their own has, has been shot and injured in this way. Um, he said he met a number of residents at, at 10 o'clock mass on Saturday morning um, outside Blackpool Church. They're, they're all talking about it and very upset by what happened. What he said, he said there's to be more boots on the ground, more engagement with the community and he said that Gardaí need to start listening to people on the ground, telling them what's going on and rooting these people now I'm, I'm quoting exactly here what, what Ken O'Flynn has said, out of our communities that are causing these sort of problems mm. and to what he described, vendetta shootings and attacks. So he, he's been very, very critical of, of the Garda response. Mm. He said that they've been very poor in their response to locals in the area regarding, as he said, certain families that have moved in and he said that the escalation in the last number of months in violence and threats in Blackpool is unacceptable. Mm. And he said, PJ, that locals, they're afraid to go out on the street and he said it's something that's never ever been the case mm. in Blackpool. He's not, he's not the first to say that there's not enough guards in Blackpool, but he went further this weekend, I think it's fair to be said. He, absolutely, yeah. He's been very, very critical there of the response. And he said, now the guards, they said that they don't respond to third party remarks. They haven't responded to what Councillor O'Flynn has said. But yes, as you say, he's been, he's been very critical um, of the Garda response here. And he's just highlighting that locals are coming to him and saying they're afraid to go outside their door. And, and he went on, on national radio over the weekend and he really, he condemned what happened and, and he was very critical there of the response. All right, Maureen. Listen, were you out with, the, did, did you did you meet the Taoiseach at the weekend? On at that Friday. particular briefing, you did? I did, yes. It was at Penrose Dock there over uh, a lovely, over by the Dean, the, the 
the new hotel over mm. there. Um, and I suppose that the question of the day really, PJ, was will Jazz go ahead? Mm. Uh, he was asked by, by one reporter, did he have any plans? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you, you kind of get the, you get one answer to one question, then you rephrase the question, see if you can get something more. And he said that he was, uh, he thinks he's invited to the opening ceremony. If, he, if he's back from Brussels in time, he'll go to that. Now, he did say there's plenty of ways that we can celebrate the Jazz. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, he was quite critical actually of, was it, um, I'm trying to think who said about, you know, c- comparing if you go out with a sniffle now to drink driving. Yeah, um, that was, was, I think that was Ronan Glynn yeah, said that. and he, he said that those remarks were probably a bit too much really, to put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he said that they're going to listen to the advice from Neffet that they're going to get today. They're going to take it all on board. He, he wasn't giving too much away. Mm. Um, but yeah, so look, hopefully, um, and I suppose another another interesting one that came out over the weekend was analysis of revenue by pub representative bodies. Cork is the worst affected. We've lost 37 pubs wow. since last March. So there are 37 doors closed on. You know, a lot of pubs are, are family-run businesses. Yeah. So 37 uh, closed in Cork. And look, there. I mean, the LVA, they, they just want reopening to proceed and as you said yourself you know you might might mean that you need your covid pass with you but so yeah. be it so yeah so getting used to that i think absolutely. and to be honest with you i don't see if it means you can get in for a, for a pint and see a bit of music i, I don't I, this is a personal view and i don't i any problem showing off my pass until i'm told i don't have to anymore Moira, thanks very much for that yeah let's have a listen to what the Taoiseach was saying i'll be talking to jack lambert later on this morning and in fact later in the week we will be speaking with dr david navarro at the world health organization talking to him uh, later in the week for the opinion line but here's what uh, the Taoiseach was saying with regards to what might or might not happen uh, over the next few days. Well, I think I'm not going to preempt what will happen. Government will have to take decisions. Uh, there will be advice that will be given to government, obviously, in respect of this, and we will take uh, decisions based on that um, ad- 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 advice. Um, but I think people have been patient, uh, and I think people overall, uh, I think, have been exceptional in terms of during, if we take the entirety of the pandemic into account, uh, the vaccination rates are extremely high in Ireland. That's testament to the people's commitment to science and, and, and to the public health advice. Um, and I think people are working very hard in relation to this and have. And, you know, we've had significant uh, restrictions over the last year and a half. So um, I think people have been patient. Uh, I think people understand this pandemic now. They know there has been and will continue to be twists and turns in relation to the, the, the disease but the key point is that we're in a much different position now than we were because of vaccination it transforms the environment totally uh, so this is a different approach I think people have been patient all along the way and I think whatever happens people will be patient uh, people are you know people have we've opened up an awful lot the economy has come bouncing back in so many sectors uh, and I think people liked the phased reopening process from early springtime when we opened up different sectors. Uh, thousands of people have come back to work. So that's the good s- side of the story so far. Uh, and I think the bulk of the people have stayed with us during all of those um, periods. That's what the Taoiseach was saying over the weekend. I will be asking Jack Lambert later this morning the question that is, I think, everybody's asking. Kingston Mills, who was on with me last week, had a theory about why with such a massive level of vaccination, one of the highest in the EU, why have we got such a dangerous surge going on in our hospitals at the moment? I've also been looking at the numbers with regard to hospitals and beds, and I know why people are panicking, because they don't have the beds. The hospitals are nearly full. 
This is just a fact. The ICUs are nearly full. There's only 11 beds in ICU in the whole country this morning. There are no spare ICU beds in Cork as we speak. Unless one of them became vacant since 11 o'clock last night. Something else that's in the news locally this morning is litter. Now, you didn't need me to tell you. You had the strength of your own eyes during the summer to see the state of the streets of our city early on many mornings, particularly to the morning after the All-Ireland final, for example, the state of the city. And our wonderful council workers come out every morning and do a great job and get the place ready and speak and span. But then Eyeball, Irish Business Against Litter, come out today with their latest report. It's their first post-lockdown one. City centre of Cork, Mahan and the north side considered to be littered to European standards. Connor Horgan of IBAL joins me. Morning, Connor. Hey, good morning. What does littered European standards actually mean? Well, it's Antashka who conduct the surveys for us and uh, they have a methodology which essentially means that a town is clean or clean to European norms if it's 80% clean. So that would mean that eight out of every 10 sites that they visit are virtually clear of litter. So that would be the benchmark that we're looking to achieve for all towns. When, when do they visit? Because there were certain mornings this year, Connor, if they'd visited, we'd have scored better than New, or worse than New Delhi. Do you know um, what I mean? Well, yeah, the examiners are instructed. You mentioned a match there, I think. I mean, the uh, the um, the examiners are, are are instructed not to visit a town under any exceptional circumstances, like there might be a market going on or there might be the aftermath of a GAA match or something like that. So, you know, their task is to come up with a representative picture of that town or city. Mm. Something that has come up, and the, the details are there for people to see of, of what is the problem in the various areas, but a lot of discarded masks, Connor. Yeah, that's a disappointment. I mean, we we did our last survey 10 months ago. That was, I think, in one November of, of last year, and... You know, people were using masks back then as well, and we were hoping that people would start using them more responsibly. But this time around, we find a 30% increase in masks on the ground. So, you know, obviously we're still required to use masks, but we're still using disposable ones. We're still dropping them at an alarming rate. And naturally enough, people aren't picking them up. So, uh, you know, you see a lot of streetscapes now which are generally quite clean, but you can be sure that you'll see the dreaded blue mask spoiling the uh, the, the the streets. Oh, you'll you know, see so them. Uh, you'll see them by the side of the pavement. You'll see them stuck at the top of a drain because they won't go down the drain. And you yeah, have they're to. They're not recyclable, of course, as well, which is a, which is an issue. And like I think it's people that inadvertently drop them rather than deliberately in a lot of cases. Uh, but it's just a shame that we haven't moved more to reusable ones that people might mind better. You also came across, and this is probably a, a symptom of lockdown and the resultant need for outdoor consumption, shall we say, disposable containers. Yes, well, I mean, it is the case that we are consuming more outside and this is contributing more to the litter problem. And I think particularly in cities as well, that it's almost a new phenomenon that people are drinking and eating outside and that's bringing more litter. And um, I think so long as we continue to consume outside, we're going to see more litter as a result of it. Mm. Um, city councils have put in extra bins and so forth, but 
you know, uh, we've seen some of the pictures. Mm. Of and, and you have to hand it to the businesses because, you know, on the few occasions that I've been in town, what I've seen is individual businesses coming out at various times of the evening with with black bags and and picking stuff up. Yeah, they're doing their uh, job. They're doing their bit. They're they doing. are. It's it's sort of inevitable though. If we're with packaging and so forth, that if and particularly with the drink involved, that you're you know and look, everyone's familiar now with probably dropping into their public park on a Sunday and they see the aftermath of what has been going on on the Saturday night. Uh, that's become a very common picture. And, um, you know, with the best will in the world, the local authorities done a struggle to, to counter that. So, um, you know, it is still the message of personal responsibility. Maybe there needs to be more enforcement at these gatherings. Um, and maybe it's something that's going to iron out as, as uh, COVID uh, retreats into the background. We All have. right. OK, OK, leave it there. Conor Horgan, thank you very much, of Irish Business Against Litter. Cork not doing so hot on the latest survey with the big problem in the city centre litter-wise. Mahan and the north side all deemed to be littered. But that is the one thing that jumps out. Masks. Why would you not just, if you're finished with it, put it in your pocket, take it home and put it in the bloody bin? Why do you... I, I'm, I'm sorry, I think Connor is too kind there. Oh, people are dropping them inadvertently. I'm sorry. Not buying that for a second. People are discarding them. They get off the bus and they say, all right, I'm finished with the mask for today. And they, they fling the mask into the ditch rather than putting it into the pocket, take it home, put it in the bin. People are lazy. And they're dumping masks all over the place. Connor is being very kind. I won't be quite so kind. I think people are being lazy with masks. They're all over the place. I spotted them at the weekend. And I was getting off a bus at the weekend. And there they were around the bus stop, in the rain, in the drain. Masks. Take the damn things home. And we're going to be wearing them for a while longer. You're going to have them on public transport after Friday, regardless of what happens. Just take the blasted things home, would you? Does it hurt that much? 1850-715-996. Coming up in a while, insurance policies should be starting to go down. If you've had your insurance renewal letter for your car in the last few weeks, has it gone down on last year if you've had a claim for a year? Has it gone down? It should be. There's been various changes made to ensure that it should be. But doesn't seem to be. That's next, or that's later, rather. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. We all love Irish music and the artists that make it. The last 18 months have been devastating for this industry and we want to play our part to help. Cork's 96 FM is proud to support Irish Music Month by promoting the amazing work of Irish artists. Across the country, independent radio with Hot Press is spotlighting Irish music and paying Irish artists over €95,000 to play and perform for us. We're committed to promoting Irish music. Are you? Irish Music Month on Cork's 96FM is supported by the BAI Sound and Vision Fund and XL Retail, offering a great deal more at your local store. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. John says, uh, what he says, ah, sure, get rid of the masks, problem solved. John, you missed the point. You missed the point, either deliberately or by accident, I know not. Morning, PJ, would they drop a fiver? They're just lazy people, says Burr. I agree with Kenneth Flynn, guard the presence in Blackpool should be greater. But he should get his facts right. There's been no 10 a.m. mass in Blackpool for years and no Saturday mass either. <laughs> right? Where are we going? On litter. There's a man going around Farron Ree collecting rubbish. He's brilliant. On another note, I was inside in town and the footpaths around the library on Grand Parade are a disgrace. You'd nearly want to kick your feet when you get home. Our beautiful city is being destroyed. Is that is it John Sutton or John That man has been going around Farinry volunteering for years, picking up litter. Um, his name is John something, and I was told it a hundred times, and of course I've forgotten it, but he, he gets a mention now and again. Few various thoughts and feelings coming in with regard to what might or might not happen with the COVID restrictions from Friday. There will be changes to the plan, you may be sure of it. What will happen, nobody really... John Brett is the man, that's right. And he was on the show with me, of course. Is the man who picks up the litter. Thanks for that, Fergal. Seeing social media posts over the weekend from Nadim, who's been on the show with me a couple of times. Nadim has started a hunger strike in the hope of pushing his application to stay here forward a bit faster. He's on four or five days into his hunger strike now, and is beginning to feel the effects of it by, by all accounts. Another man who I think has also joined him on that hunger strike is Raminder. Raminder, good morning. Good morning, sir. You you are also on hunger strike, I believe. Yeah. Since since when? Sorry? When did uh, you begin? I'm starting for Thursday, but I, uh, you know, health no good. I, uh, you know, stop on Saturday. Right. Last day, yeah. Okay. And and why are you on hunger strike, Reminder? You know, I have uh, already deportation, but you know, I still have a death penalty in India, my country. You know, right. I, I have a dangerous my my life and my family. If I go to back, and uh, you know, he catch from airport and go to jail. You know, this my country, you know, he, he can't give to bore a dead body my family. You know, after see my my children, my not see my body, you know. Your, your he, fear is, Raminder, that if you are deported, that you will be, you, you, you will face the, the death penalty. It was your family, wasn't it, who so or gave, gave away loads of free masks in town, wasn't it? Yeah, I've um, I, over 2,000 free gift to masks, you know, Cork, my family, my friend, and, you know, every same like this, my family, my Cork, Irish people, too much. I support for uh, everybody, yeah, and I made for, handmade my uh, mask and give to everybody. I give to o- over 2,000, yes. but I put on petition for sign-in. I uh, ask everybody, you support me, but Irish people, very good. You know, he support me over three thousand. He give give to me sign in for petition. Yes, yes, there is a there is a petition online now to allow 
other workers like yourself and and Nadim to stay. Nadim yeah. worked on the front line for most of COVID, and you and your family were so gracious and so kind to make all those masks and and give them out. Are you scared, Reminder, that it, that they will send you back? Yeah, very scared. My family, you know, very scared. My wife, you know, already go to hospital for doctor. He uh, under de- depression, you know, too much depression. He yeah. eating medicine for uh, depression medicine. Yes. And, and uh, too many people uh, last time, you know, deport before. Yes. And he, yeah. Yes, I know you have your 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 daughter with you to help help you with with the with the English. Yeah. yeah. We gather me, my daughter. Okay, uh, Sandeep is there with you. Reminder, how are you feeling now? A few days into the hunger strike. Uh, it's better, you know. Yeah, better now. You know, before two day, I'm no eating, but uh, you know, um, I have a little bit kidney problem, and uh, after I little bit start for okay. my family said you you health no proper, you yeah. eat. Okay. Well, look look after yourself because put your health first, and and appreciate the, the that you feel the need to, to to do the hunger strike. But don't don't jeopardize your health. That that would not help anybody, particularly yourself. Reminder, thank you, Reminder Singh, uh, the Singh family who made all those masks and gave them out in town. And uh, thanks to Sandeep there for helping her dad with with English. Um, he and Nadim and others are presently on hunger strike, hoping to get the decision either speed it up in Nadim's case or in Raminder's case uh, reversed. Raminder is facing deportation but he believes strongly that if he were to be deported he would be facing the death penalty back in India. 1850 715996 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance CMIG.ie All the stars on one show Yo, what's up? It's your boy KSI Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden I'm Miley Cyrus Hi, we're Picture This This is Medusa The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks Shane Bucks On your radio, weeknights from 8 With New Market Motors Volkswagen Low rate finance and purchase contributions Across the Volkswagen van range Newmarketvolkswagen.ie Cork's 96FM Right, with a view to what might or might not happen Friday The timeline is that uh, the NEFET is meeting today. They usually meet around midday. They'll meet for a couple of hours. Then they will send a letter to the Taoiseach, to the Minister for Health, and to one, I think it's one or two others, they send it to head of the HSE as well. And then the COVID committee, which is made up of the Taoiseach, the Taunish, the uh, leader of the Green Party, I think the finance ministers, both of them, sit on that committee as well. They'll discuss it. They'll come up with their response and then they will come to Cabinet and Cabinet will issue a response, formal response to Neffet's instructions tomorrow. And we'll get an announcement either tomorrow evening or Wednesday as to what is happening on Friday. The plan as we speak were nothing to be 
were, were things to be okay, shall we say, were things to be okay, the plan as we speak would be that all restrictions would lift Friday, with the exception of masks on the bus, masks in the shop, and a few other little bits and pieces like that to, to, to keep going for the future. That's going to change now. And the Taoiseach has said we're not going backwards. None of the restrictions that we had before are coming back. There will be no more lockdown. They won't be closing the pubs anymore. They won't be closing the restaurant. That's not going to happen according to the Taoiseach. What might happen, and one of the hotly speculated ones, is that the the passport or the pass on your phone that you currently use to get into a pub, that may be kept for a while. On WhatsApp, everybody knows the certs will be kept. The problem is that people just accept it. It'll be shops and other places next. It's just a way of tracking everyone. It's happening already in Australia. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Please. Please. Hi, PJ. Even though 92% of the population have been vaccinated, it's obvious that vaccines aren't working on their own. But the high infection rates, measures need to be taken now to reduce the rates as it's simple as that we'll be forced to take harder measures sooner rather than later if nightclubs open for vaxxed or more than there's more than virus spread inevitable apart from drink the other main activity in nightclubs is shall we say the exchange of saliva yeah right Kate says I have friends coming down from Dublin with the jazz and they have hotels booked and everything we can't keep going on like this people have to make their plans we have to start learning to live with COVID-19 I'd like to know how you feel about the prospect of holding on to the vaccine passes after Friday I'm not going to make any bones about this I've no problem with it none that ever was because I'm not that paranoid there's no one trying to track me where I'm going you know, I don't have a problem. If, if I want to go for a pint, I want to go for a bite to eat. If it means showing a little pass on my phone for another while, I'm grand with that. I'm absolutely fine with that. Do you know, and I don't understand this nonsense. Oh, I'm not showing that. Chances are it'll be kept. 1850 I'll talk to Jack Lambert later on this morning, uh, Professor Lambert, about why it is that with such a high level of vaccination, we've got such a problem with caseload at the moment. I think a lot of people, a lot of brain space being used to try to figure that out. Quick reminder to you, if you want to win a thousand euro, well, you can become a Cork's 96FM music influencer to win that cash. It's time to have your say on the songs we play with another Monster Music Survey. How do you do? You go to 96FM.ie, you click the survey link. The more songs you rate the more chances you have to win the money. Become a music influencer with Cork's 96FM. Do the Monster Music Survey and you could win €1,000. All the details now at 96FM.ie. Has your insurance premium gone down? It should have. At least that was the plan. That's what we were led to believe would happen. Personal injury awards have started to tumble. They've gone down by an average of 40% because there was new guidelines introduced back in April. And in fact, the personal injuries people, PIAB, the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, they published a report in the last while that said that nearly half of all personal injury claims are now under €10,000. That was previously just about 12% of them. So that's a huge drop in the average personal injury claim going through the Personal Injuries Assessment Board. 
it's it's almost ten thousand euro of a reduction per award. Also, the vast majority of claims never see the inside of a court. Only four percent of the PIAB generally sorts all these things out, and people seem quite happy with PIAB most of the time. Which means that after all this was happening, you you would have thought that the cost of your insurance would go down or start to go down. But they're not. Not really. Maybe they're tinkering with it around the edges here. The Alliance for Insurance Reform, which was set up previously, has welcomed this report from PIAB, but said the findings are of no value unless they lead to substantial Reductions. Peter Boland is with the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Those figures from Paya are encouraging, Peter, but like you say, they've got to be followed with action by the insurance companies. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, well, that's the whole reason that uh, this was done, uh, was to, first of all, get us in line, or at least close to our European peers. We still give more on damages for minor injuries than any other jurisdiction in Europe. Uh, but we're within uh, throwing distance of them now. And that's a massive reduction, you mentioned, 40%. And it needs to lead to a massive reduction uh, in insurance premiums because insurers have been blue in the face for years telling us that it's the cost of claims that drives insurance costs. And uh, so now the cost of claims is down. Uh, we're expecting insurers because actually it's, it's great to see Payat doing this, but um, by far the biggest settler of compensation claims is the insurance sector itself, mm. much bigger than either the courts or Payat. So they have to hold firm on these figures as well, and we'd expect them to do it, and we'd expect to see data on that because that's not something that we've seen so far. But assuming that they do, uh, then for the long term, the risk associated with every policy, be it motor or liability, uh, is dramatically down in this country. And then, of course, there's a lot of other issues. The number of claims, um, being, personal injury claims being put forward every year is dropping dramatically, has been for the last 10 years. Uh, we've had the pandemic with a massive reduction in both economic and social activity. Um, so uh, everything is set fair. And I put it to you this way, if all of those changes and reforms don't deliver lower insurance premiums, then the money has gone straight into the back pocket of insurance companies. Mm. We've also had some high-profile court cases in the last week or so in particular of people who went to court with claims and the judges said, nah, not having this. That's a change. It's great to see it. Um, two issues on that. First of all, one swallow doesn't make a summer and the fact that we're seeing a few is is terrific, uh, but you know it, it's the attitude towards the duty of care in the courts which has got us by and large into this stage in the first place. And the second thing is that... Explain that a little for me, Peter, if you would, for listeners. Okay, so essentially, uh, if say for example, you went into a shop, uh, and I've, I've come across an example of this recently, uh, and you're walking backwards down the stairs in the shop talking to your family, uh, and you fall and land on your backside. Now, the vast majority of people would be mortified in a situation like that, but some people choose to sue. And unfortunately, what happens is that too many judges apply an absolute duty of care 
in a situation like that. It was on your premises. Somebody got hurt. You're responsible. Now, the the average person in the street would look at that and say that's farcical. Uh, but that's essentially what is done. So an absolute duty of care is applied. This and is a bit like why we have, and I know there are extremes involved in this story, but this is like when you buy a cup of coffee now, you have the warning, contents may be hot. Sorry, I wanted coffee. Of course it's hot. That's what the hu- normal human brain says. But some idiot decides, oh, I didn't know my coffee might be hot, and the court pays out. And here's the real irony of it. We have infantilized our adult population over the last 20 years because of things like that. Uh, And sadly, on the other side, what you're seeing is playgrounds, play centers, uh, kids being closed, kids not being allowed to run in the playground at school. Uh, I come from a hurling part of the country and they're no longer allowed to play hurling in the schoolyard, except if it's under supervision by insured people. So... we're infantilizing adults and at the same time taking away children's childhood. Uh, That's an appalling situation. So the duty of care needs to be adjusted dramatically. Listen, if somebody is injured due to the negligence of somebody else, then they deserve to be compensated in a way that's commensurate with their, their injuries. That's what insurance is there for. And that's why the laws on duty of care are there as well. If it turns into a system which is simply channeling exaggerated amounts of money to people who don't deserve them, uh, then it's society's loss. And that's where we are at the moment. So we need insurers to pass on the benefit of what's happened so far. And we need the duty of care to be rebalanced uh, in a way which is proportionate so that you have responsibility for your own outlook, not to extreme levels, but that there's a balanced uh, duty of care on both sides there. Mm. I want to read this to you, Peter. It's a bit lengthy, but it is interesting. So just bear with me while I, while I, while I read it for you. It says, I paid my car insurance last October. Four weeks ago, I got onto my company to know the renewal. They told me my policy had lapsed. I'd paid in full, €1,000. I said I was driving around carrying people with my cert on my disc. But I know that the police, particularly the traffic corps, can read your plate and issue a charge for no insurance, possibly even without stopping you to make sure of this. They told me that was all they knew and their supervisor was going away for the day. I said, bring back your supervisor or I'll get on to a solicitor. They eventually put back my policy until the end of this month. They also said if I had any accident, I would have been covered. I'm baffled. They also told me they were happy to cover me again. The only explanation I can come to is it was a mistake. But where do I stand? Am I entitled to any compensation refund? What would have happened if I crashed? They also said they're investigating where my money went, but they don't send out a disc unless you pay up. What sense does that make? Another person in the house paid up in full and never got a disc and has been hounding them for it, especially after what happened to me. At least I had a disc. What certainly... So this seems to be that the person paid their insurance policy, but it never actually went through. She got onto them. Now it's been put through, so were they driving around uninsured for a while? And it would appear, Peter, that there are some problems like that, that people made changes during the year, rang their insurance company to inform them of things like penalty points. They haven't been added. It hasn't been taken account of. So what's going to happen with the policies? Yeah, I'm not going to comment on an individual case because that would be dangerous, but it, it raises two big issues. First is that Angarda Siakona have uh, been very vocal recently in warning people about ghost brokers. 
who are people who typically contact innocent consumers via social media uh, and set up a policy for them uh, under fraudulent terms and conditions, give them the, the impression that they're insured uh, when they're not. So you do need to be very, very careful about where you get your insurance from. And it would be, I, I, would I comment on that individual case? I would well, be I think, really, I think really this surprised. person seems to be telling us, Peter, they went back to where they've been buying their insurance from. Yeah, yeah, well, these these people are operating on a continuous basis. So, um, you know, there could have been a genuine mistake. Yes. Genuine mistake, in which case, uh, I doubt very much that there's any compensation in it. Uh, Once you're covered, that's the main thing. Uh, But the second thing is that, uh, and, and, like, I know this is an old one, but it still works. You shop around. You don't stay with the same underwriter uh, two years in a row because as soon as you give the impression that you're happy to stay where you are, uh, the cost of your insurance starts rolling up. Uh, And uh, this is an issue which the central bank are are slowly starting to wake up to and slowly starting to address. Mm. But in the meantime, the the best protection that your caller has is to move. that, That... that case sets all sorts of alarm bells ringing and uh, I'd be moving straight away. Um, moving typically will get you a discount uh, and at least you'll probably be a little bit sure about where you stand in terms of the actual policy as well. Yeah, yeah. Tom says when you pay insurance, you're covered, end of story. I, I get a bang, it's going to cost €1,000. When your policy comes back, up goes your premium. So why is that? What are we paying for? Yeah, when you when you are... Like when someone, when the insurance company pays out on a claim, I know a reasonable claim, how long will your insurance policy go up for? Like people are confused about that. So if I have an accident and it costs the insurance company, say, five grand to settle it or 10 grand to, to fix everything up between two cars, how long am I going to be paying back on that policy or that, or that, on that claim? Well, there's two issues here. First of all, um, typically what we're seeing is three to five years. Uh, it's affecting the, the cost of your policy. Um, but secondly, what we're seeing is in recent times, I mean, to go back to the basic principle of insurance, it's a lot of people putting money into a pot to cover the misfortune of the few. Yes. Um, so the pot covers it. And what we're seeing recently, particularly on, on with businesses and voluntary and community groups, is it looks like insurers are trying to recover the entire cost of a claim off the policyholder. Um, so, you know, if you have a 20,000 personal injury claim against you, it looks like over the space of three to five years, they actually recoup that out of single policyholders. Now, that's bonkers because insurance is just not sustainable on that basis. Um, and so the insurance industry now in Ireland really need to sharpen up in terms of competitiveness uh, and in terms of the way that they treat their consumers. Um, because certainly in a situation where we have very little protection from the central bank who are supposed to be looking after this side of things, uh, insurers have been writing and rewriting the rules for, for too long. Um, I've mentioned competition, by the way. Uh, the government have tweaked this already. They've set up a an insurance competition office, PJ, um, and its job is to get out into the global markets and explain to insurers, look, we've changed our ways. We're not the dysfunctional market that we were a number of years ago. Uh, we have a lot of reforms have happened and more coming. So it's a very advantageous time to start offering cover in Ireland. 
but they need to move faster. We need to get additional competition into the market because mm-hmm. in a situation where like insurers are really only concerned about one thing and that's the, the profit in the current quarter. Yeah. And you know, so the good of society or long-term considerations really don't come into it. It's how profitable am I going to be uh, in the next period and how is that going to affect my bonus? And once you realise that, it's very clear that the only thing that will keep them on the straight and narrow is additional competition. Lastly and, and briefly, to come back to where we started, the, the report from Payab, very encouraging. Should we all start to see that influencing our claims or sorry, our, our policies in the short term or medium term? We should have seen it since the 24th of April, which is the time that these new guidelines came into place, because the risk associated with every policy reduced dramatically on that date. We haven't seen it, but certainly anyone who's renewing now or going forward should be seeing reductions. We're starting to see them on motor, where there's a lot more competition. We're certainly not seeing it uh, on liability insurance, which is the one that covers... Yeah. SMEs, voluntary community groups and that needs to happen very quickly uh, if we're going to recover from the pandemic. All right, thank you very much for that. Peter Boland from the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Coming up after 10, do you know who are not buying electric cars? Women. They just seem to be shying away from electric cars. I wonder why. Can we just talk? Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, after 11 this morning, I'll speak to Dr. Jack Lambert about where we might be headed with regard to. COVID and restrictions and Neffet and all of that and what he thinks about the big question of them all the biggest question of them all we have got the highest rates of vaccination among our adult population in the EU and yet we have a severe problem going on with daily case numbers and also our hospitals are under an awful lot of pressure Give me an idea, actually, how much pressure they're under. I did the the numbers this morning on the HSE's daily reports. They issue a report every evening at 8 o'clock. And you can get it through a website. It's very easily found. It's a PDF document of about maybe 16, 17 pages. And it comes up every evening around 8 o'clock. And it goes through all the hospitals in the country, what's available, what's not available, One of the statistics it has is the number of beds in ICU beds nationally that are fully staffed and available. And I started comparing last year to this year. Did it again this morning. But before I do that, as of 8 o'clock last night, there were 11 general beds available at CUH. So that's 11 hospital beds in our biggest hospital. CUH, 11 beds available. There are eight available at the Mercy. There are seven people in the ICU with COVID 
in CUH. There were 30 people in CUH with COVID. There are seven people in the ICU. There are two people in the ICU in the Mercy out of eight in the hospital. So we've 38 people in hospital in Cork with COVID, of whom nine are presently in ICU, which is in around a quarter of them. The ICUs in both CUH and the Mercy, as of that report last evening from the HSE, are both full. Those ICUs both full at the moment. Nationally, as of 8 o'clock last evening, there were 11 beds in ICU. 11. This is why they're panicky. This is why they're worried. This is why they're looking at the weekend and going, Jesus, we have to do something about this. Do you remember all the palaver about a health budget and a billion here and a billion there and loads more ICUs and all these promises we got and all this nonsense that was talked? It is nonsense. This morning, there were 289 fully staffed ICU critical care beds in the system. 289 fully staffed and fully available, of which there are 11 available, actually free. This time last year, October the 18th, 2020, there were 279 beds. The total number of available fully staffed ICU beds has gone up 10 in 12 months. 10. There is, there is the reason behind the, the, the panic and the concern. But we come back to it with Dr. Lambert after 11. I mentioned to you before the news, it would appear that women are not buying electric cars. Uh, motoring correspondent Jerry Herbert was tweeting at the weekend that women are four times less likely to buy an EV or a hybrid than men. And the gap is widening. Jerry, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. That's an interesting finding. What are the reasons? It is. Now, I should probably clarify this. This information comes from um, uh, Britain's uh, buyacar.co.uk. It's, a, it's an online car supermarket. So that's their research. Now, I don't have any research to back this up in Ireland. Right. We, we, and I've spoke to a few people. We don't seem to capture this information. But anecdotally, I would know as many women driving EVs as I would men. So I'm not sure what my uh, experience says on this, all of this. But according to their research anyway, women, as you say, they're four times less likely to buy an EV or a hybrid. Now, they have various different reasons for this. One of them is obviously the cost. Maybe men, men probably, you know, traditionally spend more money on cars than women do. And the other thing is what they're looking at is that possibly it's the way cars, the electric cars are marketed. They're very heavily based on technology and it's the technological aspects of them that's often stressed over other aspects. Maybe this is of less interest to women. But I find it an interesting statistic, particularly, PJ, because women are supposed to make more environmental buying choices than mm. men. I mean, there's lots of surveys that prove this. So I would have thought they'd be more eager to buy hybrids and more eager to buy electric cars than men. But this contradicts that anyway. Yeah, The technology in them, I know that my own wife, Queen Bee, would, if I arrived with an electric car, in, in, she'd, she'd, she'd have a panic attack, you know, looking at it inside. Now, she would eventually get to grips with it and drive it away like she'd drive any other car. But certainly the technology, the chain, the different technology would phase her. 
Yeah, and I think possibly if it is a case that car manufacturers are stressing this, that probably maybe women perceive it as being more uh, difficult or more of a change than actually it is. So I think it's a lack of understanding as well. Um, also, I think in the early days, sort of in 2010, 2011, when the Nissan Leaf would have been marketed, it was very much an early adopter. It was very much kind of almost sold to people who worked in technology. And, you know, so it was very much a male thing then. But as I said, I'd be surprised if that's the case now, PJ. I, you know, I do know an awful lot of women who are as curious about electric cars as men are and as interested in buying them. So, as I said, it's interesting um, data, but I'm not sure if it holds for Ireland. Yeah, it, it, it'd be interesting to see if there was any, any research. I don't mind telling you, though, Geraldine, I've never driven, as I said this to you before in a previous conversation we had, I've never driven an automatic, and all electrics are automatic. And that was the one thing that frightened the life out of me, driving an electric. I've never driven an automatic. Yeah, and that's a big thing, PJ, going forward, because as we said before, if the plan is to ban, you know, the sale of new petrol and diesel cars by 2030, the only new cars you will be able to buy from 2030 onwards will be um, automatic. Mm. Yeah, so we all need to get used to it and get used to it fairly, fairly quickly. Are EVs, are the sale of EVs up in 2021 in Ireland, Jerry? Yeah, they are. I mean, car sales are not doing great because you can't really compare them to last year. But if you compare them to 2019, which would have been the last kind of normal year, they're down about 12%. But EVs are up a huge percentage now. They're up over 100% this year. They're like they're really strongly selling. Even last year when car sales were down, EVs were still up as well. So, yeah, yeah, very, very strong um, um, uh, demand for EVs at the moment. Range anxiety, is it still a thing? It definitely is. I noticed when I tweeted that information, a lot of people came back to me and said women are worried about being stranded on the side of the road with an electric car. And again, this is not something that happens because you get plenty of warning that you're running out of range and there's ways you can manage it. And you can also have an app on your phone that will tell you where there's a working and reliable charge point en route. But people do still perceive that this is a part, you know, this is a kind of a a very real um, issue. So, yeah, it is still Mm. unnecessarily so, but definitely. Up and up and. Donegal um, during my holidays in the summertime up around Malinhead and I was thinking to myself supposing I discovered my EV was running low up here where would I go? I know, but I suppose you don't run out of petrol up there either. And I mean, I know you'd have more options, but what I'm saying is, PJ, these things don't happen. You don't just suddenly glance at your your car and go, oh my God, I'm down to 50 kilometres of range. I had 300 a few minutes ago. It just doesn't happen like that. Right. And also, as I said before, the newer EVs have such a good range. You know, three, four hundred kilometres now is nothing to get on a single charge. Now, there's a thing with that three to four hundred, and I see they are going up, and a lot of the cars are advertised now with very high range. But is that as it used to be in the early days, Ger, is that before you turn on the lights, before you turn on the radio, before you turn on the wipers, before you turn on the heating? It is becoming more reliable, I have to say, and I've noticed that they're getting much, much better. And there's various different ways now, there's various different um, technology that the car companies are using to actually um, ensure that it is more accurate. So when you turn on these various different things in the car, they don't drain the battery. So yeah, it is definitely becoming more reliable. Because I know yourself and and another motoring journalist that you know, Philip Nolan, they've been driving a lot of electrics lately and driving them with air conditioning on and lights on to see does it affect the range and they do seem to be improving yeah absolutely now it will affect and I've noticed some cars are more impacted than others there's definitely no doubt about that but again your own style of driving can extend the range so if you have to turn these things on you can also just slow down a bit put on an eco mode on the car whatever and you can compensate quite you know quite easily for that so it's not the issue it used to be yeah so 
we are definitely buying more. Do, do you? And you you said the women that you know certainly. Yeah, uh, I mean, no I, I, that's EVs. what I found surprising about this. I would definitely know as many uh, female EV drivers as I would males, so I don't see it as being an issue. But that, as I said, I don't have stats to back that up. Okay. All right, Geraldine, leave, leave it there. Geraldine Herbert uh, writes motoring uh, for the Sunday Indo and indeed wheels for women.ie is uh, the, the website. The first generation of, of electric cars were bought by women, but they tended to be enthusiasts in it. I've never, I've not driven one. I've thought about it more than once. I've not actually driven one. Uh, the automatic thing for me is a big thing. I'd be afraid of my living life. I've never driven. I'm driving since I was, I mean, I'm driving since I was 20, 21. And I've never driven an automatic. We were just having this discussion in the office the other day and Fergal used to drive a big automatic back in the day and he said, the most comfortable car you ever drove. Once you drive an automatic you'd never want to drive a, a manual again. I've never driven an automatic. And that would, that's the one thing that would kind of... Ugh, oh, jeez, I hate, hate them things. But that's where we're headed now. 1850-715-996. Would you, and particularly I'm reaching out to my female listeners here, um, would you buy an electric car? Would you drive an electric car? Um, the idea of being caught out in the middle of nowhere with no power, no juice, no battery, would that frighten you? Or as Jer says, the technology is different. Is that our perception? You need, you can, there's an app on your phone tell you where the nearest working charger is. You go to any shopping centre now, there's some working chargers inside there. So it doesn't need to be a problem. But it does put some people off. But particularly to female listeners, what would be your concerns about driving an electric car? 1850-715-996. Let us look at some comments that are coming in about COVID and masks and all that. And remember, I will ask Jack Lambert later this morning what he thinks might happen, what he thinks should happen for the weekend and, and why it is. Why does he think? I think it's a very important question. Why is it that with such a high degree of vaccination in the country that we have such a serious surge in case numbers? Why is that happening at this moment? Kingston Mills said on the opinion line last week that it could have something to do with the border and the situation in the UK and the fact that the north of Ireland has still got a serious problem. Could that be an issue? I'll ask Jack Lambert that. This message says, I'm asthmatic. I've been cleaning right through the pandemic, emptying bins full of used masks, picking up used gloves and masks off of floors, they avoided the bonus payment by scaring us with this new lack of restrictions. So no bonus that you can count on. Aaron says it's the same story every year when it comes to this time of year with the hospitals. Nothing has changed over the past 10 years. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Susan says I've no problem showing a mask. Oh, sorry, wearing a mask, showing my cert. If everyone else wore a mask and wore it properly, maybe figures wouldn't be so high. Oh, yes, Susan. You still see the people going around. If you're on the bus, I was on the bus at the weekend. You still see people on the bus with the nose poking out over the mask. But that's not supposed to be... That's not how you wear it. So there's a mask over and they pull the, the nose is sticking out over the mask. But that's not how you wear the mask. God almighty, how long more do we have to do this for? Yvonne says, hey, PJ, no bother with COVID pass either. In fact, I'm quite happy with it. I'd like to know, beyond the 22nd of October, are secondary schools allowed to stop having masks or allowed lockers? My son's school don't allow lockers. 
even though the two other secondary schools in the area do. It's nuts. The kids are glued to each other during the day, but not allowed lockers in a very wide, spacious area where the lockers are. Any light we could shed on that would be great. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is an interview that we did last week um, in this part of Mental Health Week, but we've been within budget and all of the such things we haven't got to use it until today so it's it's a few days old uh, so just in case you think it might be out of date it's just been held back in the system because we were busy but uh, you remember Claire Shine she's the Cork uh, soccer star played with Cork City plays now with Glasgow City and indeed she's an Irish international Claire has been very open about her battles with her mental health uh, she had a terrible setback in 2020. She actually went missing at one point and everybody was really scared for her. But eventually she was found safe and well and she had treatment and she looked after herself and minded her mental health. And now she's in good old form. But I wanted to talk to her for uh, Mental Health Awareness Week. Uh, so I did. Claire Shine, thanks for being with us on the Opinion Line. I suppose the most important question to ask you, Claire, is how are you? I know you had a, a bad setback recently. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, actually. Um, you know, it's taken a while uh, over the last year to kind of get back on my feet. Um, but definitely over the last couple of months, I've been able to do so. Um, just changing little things to my lifestyle has made a, da- a massive difference. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely feeling a lot more positive and, and, and much better. Yeah, you were in a bad old place, June of... 2020 we were all worried yeah. about you I know um, it was a very scary time not only for me but for a lot of people you know back home in Cork um, I received a lot of messages and uh, people looking out for me to see if everything was okay if they could do anything for me but you know it was one of those moments where I just felt like I had nobody um, and coming from a dressing room full of people uh, who love me um, and a family and friends who love me and feeling like I'm all alone is, is something that I found really hard to deal with. Mm. Um, you know, it's part of, of having a good mental health is being able to speak to people and open up and, and be honest about how you're feeling. And that was just a place that I wasn't in. Um, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like back then um, I was very closed. You know, um, it was the second time this had kind of happened to me and I felt like I let myself down a little bit and how I got back to this place and if there was a way that I could have um, changed it, um, but there wasn't. And yeah, um, I'm just lucky and grateful to be in the position I am now and to be able to come out of uh, such a dark place. It must be a very strange and frightening sensation to know, like you said, that there are so many people in the world who love you, who support you, who believe in you, yet you can't bring yourself within yourself to appreciate that. That's a dark corner, Claire. Yeah, it is. And it's really scary. And I know a lot of people have been through it. Um, you know, I walk in to the dressing room and I see all my friends and, and see everybody and they're all laughing and joking and smiling. And, you know, I always have a smile on my face too, but inside I was extremely depressed and in, in certain ways I didn't even want to be there. Um, 
which is devastating, you know, because I, I'm one of the lucky ones who get to do what I love every single day and not being happy and not being able to enjoy that is just it's it's devastating. Um but I can see that now. Um but whereas back then, you know, I wasn't in a mindset where I was I was happy at all in what I was doing and, and who I was with and, you know, being a professional footballer is something I've dreamed of since I was five years old and then I got into this the position and the situation and you know I just I couldn't enjoy it um I wasn't happy myself um which is probably one of the main reasons um and I it just I just lacked that it really it really it really does define how it's an illness doesn't it in that yeah you know there was no reason in logic for you to be as unhappy as you were and yet you were of course, um, you know, I do what I love every single day. I get up, I go training. Um, of course, there's some days that are harder than others. Um, and back then it was just constant. It was just every single day. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And it just got back in my mindset, then changed. And, you know, I didn't want to be here anymore. And I, I, I just couldn't grasp that. I, yeah. I just found it really hard to deal with. Um, you know, when you go down this dark hole and it's very, very hard to come out of. Um, um, but yeah, as well as part of my mental health, you know, I, I have an addiction with alcohol, um, and I'm doing that slippery slope. Um, you know, I've loved alcohol since the minute it it touched my lips when I was, um, when I was quite young. What what age were you? 16. Um, when I first had my first drink, um, How, how long did it take to get into trouble with drink? Um, I was 23 mm. when I first went in and got help from it. You know, I was playing for Glasgow City at the time and, you, you know, they could really see it in me. Um, there was a couple of occasions I turned up to games um, from the night before and smelling of drink and even still drunk and which is just not acceptable you know I had girls in that dress room who really looked up to me and I was turning up in this state it was just something I had no control of over I was powerless uh, in that sense it was like uh, it completely just took over me and and I had no say really in, in what I was doing um and in that point in my life um it was Glasgow or not Glasgow sorry Cork City who uh, referred me to um, Andrew, who was my the fella who really looked after me inside in um, the treatment centre in Douglas. It's a drug and alcohol centre. It's more of a lifestyle change in my eyes. Um, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. He taught me things I didn't know about myself and, and self-control and, and to be able to kind of do things without alcohol not revolving around it and, and, and enjoying the simple things in life, which was the first time I have ever had ever been able to do that. Um, it was a scary time. Uh, it went on for years, you know, um, but to be able to come to terms with it and, and, and to be in the position I am today, you know, I'm grateful for 
Cork City for, for putting me in touch with Andrew um, mm. and starting off my recovery program. Yeah. Your, your first thoughts of ending your life came in, in 2018. Yeah. Um, well, when I was 18, um, I was in Pieta House. Um, I was in and out for weekly sessions for three months. Um, I started experiencing pan- panic attacks, uh, which kind of interfered with my life. You know, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I didn't have a good appetite. I was drinking uh, quite a lot. Um, and I became really suicidal at Christmas 2014. Um, and that's when I went into Pieta House for the first time. Um, you know, and it's something... It was a place where I learned a lot as well about mental health and, and suicide thoughts and panic attacks, etc. Um, and, you know, when I came out of Pieta House the first time, I thought I was cured. I thought this was it. Great. You know, I'm back on track, which, is, which isn't the case. And I came out and I just went back to doing what I was doing. Um, and as the months went on, I found myself back to square one. I was back in Pieta House. Um, and at this point, I was actually over in Glasgow City. So I had to come back from Glasgow City and um, start again with Pieta House. Um, and, you know, it was just something that I didn't know what to, didn't know a lot about. I didn't understand why I was going through this or, or what was even happening to me. So um, it was just a really scary moment um, and period in my life, even at that age. And then when I came again, came about again into 2018 um, I was actually suicidal for the whole year I, I'm not going to say that um, it was just something that came upon me it was something that I thought about for months and months and I was trying to do the right thing and it just wasn't happening you know I was in um, serious bother with, with alcohol as well and I was drinking maybe four or five six nights a week um, and I started to lie about it and, and before I knew it I was, you know, in hospital dealing with kind of the consequences of trying to take my own life, which was, which is almost harder because you just see like the impact it has mm. on everybody that's around you. And not only for yourself, but for everybody that is around you, you know, it's difficult and it was a really hard time. Yeah. Like when you wake up and, and you look around you and you see the people looking at you, yeah. worried about yeah. you. What does yeah. that do to you inside? Oh, the guilt to this day still affects me. You know, it's something that I'm still working on um, and trying to get on top of. It's It never really gets better. Um, I mean, I have a great relationship with my friends and my family and now, um, but there was a, a time where I didn't have a, a relationship with anybody because of what I was doing and my actions. And it just... I just lost all control of myself really. And I forgot who I was or I'd not even forgot, but I lost everything um, that I had worked towards. Um, and as the time went on, it just got worse. Is there a split, Claire, in, in a person's head when that's going on in that there you are, you're so honest about it, reeling out of control. Is there kind of a split situation where you, you actually watch yourself going out of control and know you're going out of control but you're powerless yeah. to stop it. Yeah, and I found that in my relapse last year in 2020. Um, like, I knew what was going to happen. I knew the consequences. I knew how this was going to make people feel. I knew how bad um, I, it was going to make me feel and how suicidal I can become. Um, and yet I was still doing it. I couldn't 
control it, I couldn't stop it. Uh, it just, it, the power it has over you um, is frightening. And you're trying to hide it as well from everybody because, you know, you've been through it before and you've got to a very good place. And then within weeks, within months, I was back to square one again, um, which wasn't the first time that happened. So I started to hate myself and for all the decisions that I was making. Um, it was just, yeah, my self-hatred was one thing that I found really difficult Um I didn't like who the person I was becoming um, and it kept happening and kept happening and I just didn't know how to stop it. Um, and that's when I ended up in hospital over here in Glasgow um, June 2020 where I went through a, a detox phase um, in hospital. I was there for a month um, which was a really kind of difficult period. You know, you go into hospital and you don't know what to expect. I was in a psychiatric ward um, and not only do you have to kind of deal with your problems, but you have to be able to manage the 20 other patients that are in there too, because you don't want to trigger them. They don't want to trigger you. So it's, it's hard to kind of build relationships, um, which I actually managed to do after a number of days that I was in there um, learning from people who have been dealing with these issues their whole lives, you know, a lot older than me and, and being able to see or listen to them and, knowing that I'm still young and I can still put it right was a massive changing point in my life. And now that you are well again, and, and we hope that that continues, Glasgow City and before it, Cork City, they've both been extraordinarily kind to you, even in your darkest moments. Yeah, they have. Absolutely they have, you know. Um especially over here in Glasgow City, they've, they've seen me at my best and they've seen me at my worst and, and they've never given up on me. How important is that, Claire? It's so important to have a good um, support system around you and it's the best it's ever been in my life at the moment. Um, I've constantly got people who I'm in touch with, uh, you know, if I'm having a bad day and, you know, I can reach out to my teammates now and, and let them know and, you know, once I do get it off my chest, it, the day becomes to to be a lot brighter um and i'm i'm glad and thankful that i am in this position you know to to be able to speak about it and to be open and to have um that platform to be able to help all of the people as well which is a massive uh, part of my recovery too to be able to help people and open up and and let people and to be able to relate to people and for, for people who were desperately worried about you last year it was such a it was an indication of just how well regarded you are that it was Vera Pau's tweet told us you were okay. Like the international manager is tweeting to let people know you're okay. That's the level of respect in which in which you're held. How does that feel? Yeah. Um, you know, it's crazy. You know, I touched on it earlier how all these people were tweeting and and it was everywhere it was all over social media the messages that I had and I still felt like I didn't have anybody and that's how powerful it can be at wow. times wow where you know I had just got my first start for Ireland in, in that March in that February and then a couple of weeks later I was in a relapse that I used to have nightmares over and it's just so quickly how it was able to turn around. And now I can kind of appreciate and understand where people were coming from, where they do have this respect for me and I have that respect for them. You know, it works both ways. And I'm just grateful 
to have that many people behind me and, and to help me and, and I know that and I can see that now um, and I just like to be able to remind myself yeah. that I do have a lot of support behind me no matter if it's good or if it's bad uh, if I'm doing good or if I'm doing bad you know there's always people there and, and it's nice to have that fork um, kind of background behind me as well you know You're a mental health ambassador as well with, with your club and I think on this week that it is Mental Health Week, there's probably a lot of young women, a lot of young men too, but young women like yourself, uh, they've got everything they need in life. They've got a good life, good job, very happy, surrounded by friends and family and those who love them. And yet they, yeah. they have this internal hate of themselves. What advice, if any, can you give them, Claire, as someone who has been there and, and only recently? Just that if you if you do find yourself struggling and you're in a dark place, you know, there's so many people out there that love you unconditionally. And when you're in that place, I know it's really hard to kind of see that and understand that. Um, and just to be able to be open and to be honest, like I love opening conversation around mental health and suicidal thoughts because when people bring up the, the conversation around suicidal thoughts, you know, they're, they're like almost like take a step back. They, go, they don't understand it. They don't get it. They don't see it as something that happens like every day, whereas it is something that happens every single day. And, and the, the amount of people that are taking their own lives everywhere in the world, male, female, kids, adults, you know, it's, it's happening. And the more we get the, the message out that it's okay not to be okay um, and to be able to be open and honest and, and have the support around you is just so important. Um, especially being able to, like, I, I speak to my teammates all the time, and I'm lucky to be in that environment. But there's people who don't, um, and being being able to open up to their friends or their families is just really important. And I would encourage anybody to, to do it, no matter how small they think it is. Like in your life, it's a big thing, um, and that you're so brave to be able to open up and and to be honest. And I just think that's something that we all need to learn. Um, that everybody goes through things in life um, and some things can be unexpected but everybody goes through things and everybody can relate on some way um, to having down days especially and I, I just think opening up the conversation and, and to reaching out to people is really important. And that's what we want to do with you today and, and thanks for doing it. Finally, how good is it to be back playing and training and fit and healthy? Oh, it's amazing. I don't take one single second for granted, you know, I'm... Um, I take everything in now. I'm grateful um, to be in the, this position. Um, and it's probably the first time in my life that I've been able to feel that warmth inside me, that I'm in a position to be able to inspire people at the young age. Um, you know, I'm back in, in um, the international setup. Uh, I'm starting for my club over here. I'm scoring goals. I'm uh, playing in the Champions League, you know. This time last year, I didn't think I'd ever play football again. And, and to be in where I am now is just is just incredible. And I, I won't ever take it for granted again. Well, that's living proof that recovery is possible. Claire, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. Thank you. It's great, didn't you see? That's Claire Shine speaking to me a few days ago from the training ground in Glasgow. I think there must have been someone loading a dishwasher or something behind her towards the end of that, but but thanks. If you're in a position where you need help, um, reach out to a friend, call your doctor, 
Uh, call the Samaritans, 116123. Call Pieta, 1-800-247-247. Or if you think someone is in immediate danger, or if you yourself feel you might be in immediate danger, call 999 or 112. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. The third concert in the Spotlight Chamber Music Series at Triscoll Christchurch will feature some of the most distinguished string instrumentalists in Ireland. It takes place on Saturday. 13th of November at 1pm Access all areas Pauline Scanlon and the Wild Aways interpret the music of one of the greatest songwriters of our time with Bird on the Wire as they celebrate many of Leonard Cohen's best love works. It's a show taking place as part of the Guinness Jazz Festival on Wednesday 27th of October at Cork Opera House. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. On Cork's 96FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Cork's 96FM. A few of your comments on the electric vehicles and this survey from the UK, which Ger Herbert was very keen to point that out. There's no corresponding survey done here yet, but in the UK they reckon that women are shying away from buying electric vehicles. Of course, by 2030, they want us all to be driving electric vehicles. I had an electric car in 2011. Fabulous car to drive, but the lack of charge points in the city was ridiculous. I'm gone back to diesel, says that message. A lot of people would have nothing to do with EVs or hybrids. They can be troublesome. Parts are expensive, and the battery needs replacement along the way. You hear all this from mechanics. They're also expensive. That's from Ed. And Jean says, Hi PJ, listening to you this morning about electric cars. It's all well and good for the government to say they want everyone driving electric cars. What they're not taking into account is the electricity network can barely cope with the load it has right now. Never mind adding EV cars that need to be charged all the time. The network needs to be sorted out first. Myself, I drive a hybrid Toyota, says Jean. That's actually one of the things that the, the those pushing us towards electric cars. And look, we get it, right? We get it. We have to change the way we drive. We have to change the way we consume fossil fuels and preferably consume as little as possible, if eventually none at all. That's fine. That's fine. But the most practical thing on the road, I have a buddy who drives one, the most practical thing on the road is the actual hybrid. The car that has a little petrol engine and a battery and it charges itself and all this kind of thing. It's self-charging, it's a hybrid car. It won't elect. They seem to be a mighty little yoke. Grand little thing. Lots of them around. But the, 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 the climate people want them gone too, like. I don't know. I just don't get it. I'm sorry. Like, hybrids take loads and loads and loads of crap out of the air. So why can't we... Ah, I don't know. 
Later on, as well as talking to Jack Lambert in the last hour today, I will also be speaking to Brian O'Donovan. Brian's from Cork, and of course, Brian has become a household name in the last few years, uh, covering the Washington beat for RTE as their Washington correspondent, and indeed traipsing around America, chasing Donald Trump here, there and everywhere, and many other great stories from across the States. He's written a book, it's a fine book, called Four Years in the Cauldron, about his time working as RTE correspondent. And Brian is a lad that worked on the ground here, myself and Fiona, over the years in radio, and indeed in his early days in television. So look forward to chatting to Brian between 11 and midday today. The Chadwick's group has launched a piece of research into the tradespeople of Ireland. Builders and plumbers and electricians and carpenters and masons and all those wonderful people without whom our houses would fall down. One in five of them have said they work through illness so they don't fall behind on a job. Three quarters of them tried to change their lifestyle over the past couple of years, but over just under half of them regularly suffer aches and pains. I think it would probably go with working in all weathers. Hard physical work in all weathers would probably not be good for your back. But Chadwick's have got a, an initiative going for them. Seamus Kennedy is Senior Physiotherapist with Sports Physio Ireland and he joins me. Seamus, good morning. PJ, how are we getting on? Good. It's hardly surprising, I suppose, that your average block layer or carpenter or plumber would suffer back pain, given that they work in all weathers at all times of the year. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's definitely uh, a physically demanding job, I suppose, and um, probably not too bad in the summertime. A lot of people would would like the idea of being, you know, out in size and not stuck in an office or something. But definitely, um, definitely in the winter months, um, you know, it's it's a tough job. Probably starts off easy enough for the for the younger generation and yeah. then as as the years um clock up you know there'll be a lot of wear and tear and and, and you know there's there's no easy way around it i suppose um mm-hmm. you can't can't avoid the physical work i suppose really but um yeah they they there would be a lot of them i suppose suffering you know some kind of pain back and uh, knee pain you know yeah. elbows shoulders yeah um general wear and, and tear on 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 those yeah, parts yeah. of the body so yeah. what can be done to help them? I suppose, well, the one good thing at the moment is Chadwick's, I think this is their second year doing the, um, the National Tradesperson Check. So they've obviously got um, nationwide um, any tradespeople can go in for free. I think it's 15-minute checkup. Um, I suppose that's kind of the first thing they can do, um, get in there. Um, it's only 15 minutes. As they were saying, like a lot of a lot of tradespeople now are working, you know, up into I think it's it's over sixty hours a week a lot of them. Yeah. Um and you're spending a lot of time probably in the van travelling around the country. Um yeah. so they 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 probably don't have as much time as a lot of people. But that's definitely I suppose the first initi- initiative they can do, get on board with that. Um and then ourselves, uh with Chadwick's we we've uh, put together some kind of um flexi time, stretch routines and stuff. Um, it's quite popular now over in the States uh, and over in Australia and some of the big sites and stuff um, where they do kind of similar to, to, I suppose, a sporting environment. They do a warm-up or something in, in the right. morning and they do right. they do that on the big sites now. It's kind of like a 10 or 15-minute thing. Um, right. well, before you go out on take, site, you'd, you'd, warm up the, you'd warm up the body. 
Exactly, yeah. Now, it'll probably take a, a while to get it on board in Ireland. Uh, it, lads are probably be looking at each other doing doing stretches in the morning, thinking, <laughs> Jesus, do we have to do this? Like, but, um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I'd say it might take a while to get it on board, but it's definitely kind of a, an idea, I suppose. Um, an idea to get going anyway. Yeah, it was heavy, heavy physical exercise. You, you, you would, you would stretch before doing heavy duty exercise. So if you're going to be carrying hods of bricks around and planks of timber, it seems logical that you would stretch the body, particularly on a cold winter's morning. You would, yeah, 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 yeah. You would, you would think it's a good idea, I suppose. Yeah, particularly lads who are who are suffering. I think they say something like from the study there, two thirds have missed work due to to joint pain or something. Yeah, and that's probably. Compared to compared to uh, an office job where if you have an injury or an illness, you can, you can particularly uh, a physical injury, you can still work away, yeah. you know, um, and then uh, like you're, you're, you can you're drag missing, yourself you're you can drag yourself around an office on half steam and still get the job done, but you can't so much do that out on a building site yet. Yeah, Seamus, thank you for that. Those two days, that's Seamus Kennedy, who's a senior physiotherapist with Sports Physio Ireland. They're involved in this initiative with. Chadwick's and there are two days for tradespeople out at Cork Builders Providers out in Toker. Morning lads, I know they listen. And morning to Chris and the Flying Burrito, I know he listens. Um, Cork Builders Providers, they're out there on Wednesday the 27th and Thursday the 28th for those 15 minute health checks for tradespeople. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, a lot of love in the room for Claire Shine. She's such an inspiration for young people, says Dee. She's amazing for talking so openly about her experiences. Well done to Claire Shine, an inspiration on and off the field says Mick Nugent and some more stuff coming in about her just an awful lot of love in the room for Claire Shine and uh, thanks to Claire for speaking to us so openly about her mental health issues and good luck to her uh, in her continued career at Glasgow City and of course with the with the Irish International Squad 1850-715-996 now your newspapers this morning various different angles on the Covid situation and what might or might not happen on Friday, the Irish Times tells us that the health service executive says it has no immediate plans to deploy surge capacity in response to increasing pressure on intensive care beds. We know from the official figures from HSE, there were now only 11, or there were only 11 as of 8 o'clock last night, 11 available ICU beds in the system. And 17 hospitals had no free beds in their ICUs, including CUH and Mercy. Those figures as of 11 o'clock last night but HSE says he has no intent, it has no intention at this point to deploy surge capacity. Also in the Independent then today we read that hospitals are bracing for a spike in people being hospitalised as Neffet meets to discuss the even, easing of restrictions. Now it would have been a formality if things had started to go or 
continued to go according to plan. It would have been a mere formality that the rest of existing restrictions, with the exception of wearing masks on the bus and masks in the shop and a few other things like that, they would all have been dropped as of Friday. We now know that's not going to happen. The Taoiseach, speaking at the weekend, was insisting that we will not go backwards and that we will not reimpose instructions that were lifted previously. He wasn't in trying to go further than that, though. Well, I think I'm not going to preempt what will happen. Government will have to take decisions. Uh, there will be advice that will be given to government, obviously, in respect of this, and we will take uh, decisions based on that um, ad- 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 advice. Um, but I think people have been patient, uh, and I think people overall, uh, I think, have been exceptional in terms of during, if you take the entirety of the pandemic into account. There you go. That's what he was saying. Preempting nothing, which of course he can't. Neffet will meet. Today, they will issue a letter as they always do and then the Cabinet subcommittee will meet and then the Cabinet itself will meet and we'll know by this time tomorrow probably or at at the earliest, or the latest rather, into Wednesday what's going to happen Friday. But the big question is, we've got one of the highest uptakes of vaccine in all of Europe, possibly the highest per head, head of population and yet we've got this very worrying increase in the caseload. Let me bring in a man who's been a regular contributor to the Opinion Line throughout the pandemic and uh, we've come to rely on him very heavily for good common sense in this regard and that is uh, Dr Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine. Jack, good morning. Good morning. Good to speak with you again. Can you maybe address that question, Jack? Like, we have such a high vaccine uptake and yet we have a worrying increase in the figures. Right. Well, Well, I think the issue is the government's kind of said to the Irish public, oh, if we can just get to 90, 95% vaccination, uh, the, the world would be a better place. We can throw away all of our restrictions and get back to normal. And that, 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 that's been kind of the message, I think, that's been given um, to delay, 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 kind of getting back to normal that, that many other countries have done. And I think that's, that's the wrong message. Vaccines are hugely important, but all the other stuff is important as well. So having testing, having use of face masks, social distancing, hand washing and, you know, reconfiguring places, you know, public places to make them safer, better ventilation. This is going to be part of the of our lifestyle moving forward. And then pushing that we're out of ICU beds. This is a, this is a problem that has existed for 10 years. Mm. So, so you, 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 you know, I'm not saying that, that that changes thing. And most of the beds right now that are, are filled up, they're not with COVID patients, you know. So there's a there's a huge issue in terms of, the strategy that's been used and, and developing a plan for, you know, f- for a healthy island in, in terms of the hospitals, beds, in terms of the community services, even before COVID. So I just think, you know, saying, oh, we can't reopen because, you know, there's not enough ICU beds. We've never done that for flu. We've never done that for any other infectious mm. disease. We need a living with COVID plan. We've never developed a living with COVID plan. We've always had a reactionary plan. Wait till Friday and you'll be told what the next steps are. That's not a plan. That's a lack of a plan. You you wrote, um, and we discussed it in an article several months ago, as to how you would see uh, a wise way of, of going forward. The Taoiseach has said there at the weekend, we won't be going backwards, but we may have to pause. Would you agree with him? No, I don't think you should have to pause. I think you should actually just, maybe you have to put a few more safeguards into place. You know, maybe wearing masks in indoor 
facilities, you know, when in certain situations, maybe uh, requiring the COVID passport, you know, for certain indoor activities. I mean, the virus is, is going to increase. It's a given, okay? Mm. And my, my, I was vaccinated in January, and according to the studies in, 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 in Israel, my antibody levels have been dropping down for the last four months, and I've not got a booster vaccination. I want my booster vaccination. I think everybody in Ireland is going to need booster vaccinations. Uh, the new cases over the last couple of weeks, a third of them are in, you know, the elderly again, and that was down to 6% over the summer. Yeah. So, so we're in, we're in, it's increasing again because the vaccines are wearing off. We, we need a plan for testing, you know, safely living with COVID, booster vaccination, enhanced capacity of the hospitals, uh, not, not just let's freeze for another six months. It's not fair to all the people, you know, in Ireland who are trying to get on with life, let alone the, the business people who have, you know, who have lost the last 18 months of their income because of these lockdowns. How much did Delta change the game, Jack? Well, Delta is much more infectious. You know, mm. we didn't think this virus would become more infectious. We thought it would become less infectious. You know, usually animal viruses don't like to be in humans. They they eventually kind of peter out. This virus has gained momentum. The first strain back in 2000 and, you know, 2020 was different from the second strain, the UK B117 strain. The Delta strain is even more infectious. And we might have another strain coming along in a few months that's even more infectious than Delta. So the solution is to, to stay ahead of the curve, not react to every crisis. Mm. Just in terms of the, the pressure on beds in the system, and I know you're, and you're quite correct when you say there's pressure on the on beds in the system every single year. But when we discover and you analyse the figures, there are only 10 more fully staffed beds in the system yeah. today than there were on October the 18th last year. It, it shows a need, doesn't it, to expand that capacity? Yeah, we do need to expand it. We should have expanded it years ago. But the other side of the coin is we're not going to see Armageddon like we did two years ago when we had, you know, almost all of the ICU beds filled with COVID. The, the fact is that the, the vaccination of people who are still contacting COVID, but they tend to have a milder course, which is really good. So mm. studies have shown that, that with vaccination, you can still catch COVID, but your chances of having complications, severe complications, are tenfold less so that means rather than 100 people getting sick ended up in the ICU, you'll have 10. I'm just using that as an example. Sure. So we're 10. So vaccines are helping. So I think we do want to encourage people to get vaccines. And we want to encourage the government to, to start announcing a plan yesterday for booster vaccinations for all populations, including healthcare workers. Right. They're talking about doing it now for the over 60s. But you say that actually we should all, those of us who want one, be able to get a booster I think you should because the, 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 the levels are dropping off. It's the safest way forward. It keeps you from getting sick and it keeps you from spreading it to other people, you know, and it allows you the safety and comfort of going on, on into the public again in a safe way. Yeah. Um, without that, we'll, we'll be, we're back to where we were, you know, before the vaccines were even available. If we let the vaccine, you know, antibody levels drop down, um, we're, we're, we're not going to be at a level where we're safe again. And, and you know the people who had a breakthrough infection after they were vaccinated and some of them got, got ill and ended up in hospital, admittedly their hospital stays were shorter and they made a better recovery. Someone who got a breakthrough infection after the vaccine, should they get, should they get a booster or is their naturally acquired immunity strong enough? 
I think I think we're now we now discovered that natural immunity is actually boosting the vaccines. So you actually do have a re- really robust response. And there's data now that vaccinating people with other vaccines and the ones they were original vaccinated with, they get higher levels. So yeah, this is a, it's a we're learning day by day by day by day. And yes, I think if you're naturally infected, you'll get, you, you're probably boosted uh, if you previously received the vaccine. And you probably don't need another vaccination for another year or two, the studies will show with mm. time. I was speaking to Professor Kingston Mills late last week, Jack, and he was of the opinion, and he stressed it's an opinion because he doesn't have any data to go on, that maybe the people who were originally vaccinated with AstraZeneca and or Johnson & Johnson, that their immunity may be on the wane a little faster than those who originally got a Pfizer. Is it worth researching these things? Well, studies are ongoing. People are doing studies. They've done studies and they're, they're doing studies all over the world. They're doing mm. studies in Israel. So data is coming out every day. And yes, all vaccines are dropping off uh, over a period of time. And, and we, we, need to, we need to just start treating COVID like we do pandemic flu, annual vaccinations, you know, safe, you know, safely moving forward and not using lockdown as a solution. Yeah, yeah, you've been saying that for months, to be fair. In terms of vaccines and boosters, is there is there work ongoing on a, an actual vaccine that is tweaked for Delta? Because we thought they, we thought we thought they were doing that months ago, but they they yeah. hasn't produced one yet. Right. Well, well, I, you know, it, it, the, lots of the companies are interested in doing this, obviously, because they're going to make money off it. And uh, my understanding was Moderna had been working on, you know, uh, a booster vaccine that would kind of cover the mutations that Delta have, so you'd be protected against this. So all pharmaceutical companies are working on this and are doing studies. I just haven't seen the results yet. But that, yeah. that obviously, that's going to happen, and that's going to be a requirement. The mm. year after that, Delta Plus, there's going to be a new variant. We're going to have to have a new vaccine for that, just like we do for influenza. Yeah. Every year we change the flu vaccine. I was just going to get to that question. The people who have to get a, a flu vaccine every year are advised to get a flu vaccine every year. The reality of life is that we are now going to have to have a COVID jab every year, particularly if you're vulnerable. I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. If you're vulnerable, you absolutely need it. And if you're not vulnerable, then I think it's a good idea to get get it just to prevent the spread. Because, I mean, think about it. Think of all the people that are out of work, out of school, you know, out of daycare. You know, there, there's a huge impact of besides illness, you know, of, of people not being vaccinated and mm-hmm. being having to be in quarantine for 10, 14 days um, following COVID exposure. Do you see it as a problem that we are still, and I mean, by, by we I mean our authorities, are still very reticent as regard to widespread antigen testing, which is clearly now at this stage working in many parts of the EU? Right. Well, I, th- I think Philip Nolan has, has, was quoted as calling antigen tests like, like snake oil. And yes. I just think that this is, this is totally inappropriate. First off, um, you know, I, I think he's not the appropriate representative to be talking about antigen tests. He's a physiologist, not, 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 a, not a, a specialist in laboratory medicine. But yes, we are way behind the scene in antigen testing. There is a place for antigen testing as part of the solution to give an additional level of protection, you know, in terms of moving, moving forward, moving into indoor venues. So absolutely, there is a role for antigen testing. And, and I'm afraid... Our, our, our government has, has spoken out uh, articulately in, 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 in a really embarrassing way. I think it's the wrong message. 
and and we really do, do need to take a look at get get some real experts on, on you know to give an opinion on, mm. on this because uh, we're not getting expert opinion. I, I was talking to a doctor genetic. friend of mine recently and I was <coughs> putting the whole antigen testing thing to him and he said that the, most of the ones now that you get through a decent source are very very accurate and the idea if you're feeling a bit off at the weekend test yourself and then ring your boss and say look I'm infectious I need to stay out for a few days we get into that kind of self-discipline self personal responsibility that could be a game changer it can be a game changer and it's just, it's just it's look it's just one of many covid mitigation strategies we have to kind of you know get 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 around we need to wear a mask properly yeah. and then even the covid passports you know people are you know walking into places and flipping a piece of paper with a covid passport on it and people people in restaurants aren't even checking it so we you know so i'm, I'm sure i'm sure we need to do things right we need yeah. and antigen testing is one of the many things that could be part of the solution mm. and we, we're not using that appropriately or to the best of its utility in ireland at the present time I, are you observing the same as i did at the weekend dr lambert on the bus for example people with the masks and the nose out over it like that kind yeah, of absolutely. thing it's still going on it's still going on. It's going on everywhere, you know. And 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 like I said, we we still need to. We can't let our let our you know. We have a choice: be in lockdown or live safe. Live you know safely with COVID. And I think living safe safely with COVID means doing it right, not giving lip service to all these other mitigation strategies. And we're giving lip service. And I think that's the reason the numbers still high. The government said, oh, the reason the numbers are still high is because the UK, UK is bringing all the COVID into Ireland. We don't need the UK to help us. We're, we're not doing it right ourselves. Um, we're letting down our guard in too many places. You need to do it right. You, I, I, you don't use a condom some of the time and get a little pregnant. It's an all or nothing thing. If you don't use a mask right, you're at risk for failure. Mm. And taking it for granted that with a high level of vaccination solves the problem it doesn't does it it's not it's it's, a, it's an important uh part of the solution but no the message that it solves the problem is the wrong message and i think that's a message that has been has, has been mis misrepresented to the irish population just to say wait one more month wait one more month wait one more month no we we, we can't wait any longer we need to kind of live safely with covid how much would it help if we wore higher quality masks like the k95 they're better. They're better, but you don't. You probably don't need them in every environment. You know, some people they've done studies in using double masking. You know, double masking that helps even better than one mask. So yes, a higher level mask uh, would make a difference in certain situations, but you don't need it for every situation. Mm. Um, so so it's just it's just one more one more option. But there's also a cost associated with it, mm. and then people have to use it properly. You know. At one stage during the pandemic, Dr. Lambert, I spoke to you and you were, you were a little emotional. You were so busy and so overwhelmed with, with the situation in, in your ICUs and your, and your hospital there. Are you nervous that we could go anywhere near going back there as we head into the winter? Absolutely not. We won't. The vaccines are, are working. The numbers are high, but, you know, but, but it's, 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 you know, the most vulnerable have been vaccinated, um, and I don't. We're not seeing the, sa the same intensity of disease like we were before. So as long as we keep on doing the right things, um, I think we can live safely through this this coming year. And it's going to be a challenge. 
Mm. But it's going to be a challenge every year. So I just think we have, if our, our part of the solution is to do the right thing. Put that mask above your nose, wash your hands, you know, mm. um, take it seriously. All right, listen, we'll speak again, I have no doubt. Thank you very much, as always, for being with us. Dr. Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine. And again, another voice of authority saying that we need to get a grip with regard to antigen testing. There's another man who's been with us on the programme many times, Liam Fanning, speaking in the news about it, and others talking about it over the last few days. And across Europe... You get an anti. I was reading an article in one of the newspapers at the weekend now where a major nightclub in Germany have actually installed a booth outside in the street, like a porta cabin. And in order to get in, if you have your vaccination pass, you go in. If you don't have your vaccination pass, then you go in and you have to do a test and you wait 10 minutes and the test shows whether you're infectious or not. And we're not using it here. 1850-715-996. The ICUs, though, are under pressure. The hospitals are under pressure. As Dr. Lambert says, they get under pressure every year and we should be increasing the capacity with or without COVID. But to remind you again, and for all of the palaver and the puff and the bluster that comes out of our leaders, this morning, 289 fully staffed ICU beds in our public health system. 18th of October, 2021. 18th of October, 2020, there were 279. They've increased the number of fully staffed available ICU beds by 10 in a year. That's less than one a month. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie All the stars on one show. Yo, what's up? It's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're Picture This. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. With New Market Motors Volkswagen. Low rate finance and purchase contributions across the Volkswagen van range. Newmarketvolkswagen.ie. Corks 96 FM. Stay from Rihanna on Corks 96 FM. Brian O'Donovan, if you had a chance to stay in the US, would you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I was just telling Fiona there, your producer, no, from the point of view, it was the most amazing four years. It is now over, or at least it's about to be over. I wrap up in Washington in December. I felt I left nothing behind in the sense that professionally, there were some of the biggest news stories in recent US history. I was privileged to be there for them. I had an absolutely amazing time. Mm-hmm. I got to cover groundbreaking, world-changing events, loved every minute of it. But it's time now for the next chapter. I'll be moving home, as I say, at the end of the year. And uh, what a great four years it's been. Had you any idea when you got on a plane to take up the gig just what you were getting into? Yes, in the sense that from that Donald Trump day-to-day, busy, frenetic White House, remember there had been a year of him. So I took over in 2018. Katrina Perry would have been covering him for his first year in office. And so I was well aware that I was going to be very busy with the Donald Trump day-to-day 
business. And that was unusual because previous Washington correspondents would say that you didn't spend that much time actually covering presidents on a day-to-day basis. People like Barack Obama, George W. Bush, you covered the big crisis, but you didn't cover them day-to-day in the way that you did with Donald Trump. So that certainly kept me busy for the first couple of years. And that was certainly the sense I was going to have. But then remember, I suppose I focus on 2020 a lot Mm. in the book that I have out out at the moment. And 2020 was always going to be busy, PJ, because it was the election year. But at the start, election year, I had an idea of what it might look like, primaries, campaign events, rallies, and then the coronavirus hit, and that changed everything. Yeah. And then the Black Lives Matter protest movement hit, and that changed everything again. Yeah. And then, of course, the year, or rather, into 2021, culminating with the storming of the Capitol building and the inauguration of Joe Biden. So while some things, yes, I expected, there was a lot of surprises as well along the way. Covering the, the election it must be fascinating as as the Washington correspondent, but this was such an unusual one. Like I said, you had the pandemic in, in, at play. You had Trump... The impression I had at the start of it, Brian, was, and I think in the book, you don't say it straight out, but I think if if it wasn't for COVID, he would probably have gotten a second term. Do you think that? I believe that. I believe there's a very good chance. I won't say it for definite. We can never know that. But if you remember back to January of last year, the economy was doing very well. The Democrats were kind of tearing each other apart looking for a candidate. Joe Biden was doing really badly in those early primaries. Donald Trump was out in the campaign stage. He was holding his big rallies. The country was doing well. Yes, of course, he had his critics. He was incredibly divisive and a huge number of people didn't like him. But the country was doing well. It looked good for him. And then, of course, come March, COVID hits, the world changed. And what you had was a scenario where Donald Trump lost the control of the things that he needed to get reelected. He couldn't hold the big campaign rallies. Now, as we know, he did start doing that eventually. But initially, he had to cancel all his rallies. He couldn't guarantee the strength of the economy. The economy fell off a cliff because the world had to shut down and all the businesses had to shut down. And he was furious at this. And the whole thing infuriated him. And I felt the coronavirus year last year very much gave us a reminder of the federal system that exists in the U.S. and that it is individual states and they're run like individual countries and it's up to individual governors and mayors to impose their restrictions and their lockdowns and that was something I think that infuriated Donald Trump that he didn't have the power to keep the country open to fuel his re-election and it wasn't to be. You write about the drama of the night he himself was shifted to hospital like that was a bizarre thing to be caught in the middle of. That was unbelievable. I write in the book that that is my reeling in the years moment. Four years of reeling in the years moments, you know, but that is the one that sort of stands out in my mind because here you had a president who was in his 70s who had contracted this deadly virus that was killing people in that high-risk category and he got it. He tested positive and initially they announced by tweet as Donald Trump always did that he had tested positive. Then a day passed and then we really knew he was in trouble. His condition deteriorated rapidly. I outlined in the book how myself and my cameraman were outside the White House reporting when a very irate security guard came and started screaming at us to move, to get off the lawn, and actually pushed our camera midway through a live broadcast. And I didn't understand why. I didn't know what was going on. Then it became very clear what was happening. Uh, The helicopters came in, and he was taken to hospital by helicopter and treated. And then what followed the following days then were these bizarre scenes outside the Walter Reed Medical Center outside Washington where he was being treated, where his supporters gathered. They were praying for him. They were waving flags. It was like a mini rally. And then, of course, he came out and waved at them from the back of a car. He recovered, and then he used his recovery in the campaign saying, I'm like Superman, I got Mm. over the coronavirus, I got through it, you don't have to be worried about it either. There was also the, did he actually say that moment, the bleach, the ultraviolet light, like covering those, you're kind of going, what on earth is happening here? What became, PJ, very clear 
And I knew it all along. But that year of 2020, where we had COVID, where we had Black Lives Matter, where we had all these huge stories, it very much became Donald Trump's reaction to those stories. And everything was viewed through his prism. He soaked up all the oxygen and all the attention. So when you had COVID press conferences, he would take them over. He wouldn't let the experts speak. And he would muse aloud, yes, as you say, about ingesting disinfectants or using ultraviolet light or taking hydroxychloroquine or all these other quick fix cures, looking for the miracle, looking for the quick fix. The same then was true with the Black Lives Matter protest movement. It very much became about his reaction to it and what he was doing about it. And remember, he would very much focus on the negative aspects, the looting, the violence. And he tweeted, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, making these very threatening statements. Mm. So his handling of this went into that old Trump playbook of division, us versus them. Everything became political, right down to the wearing of a mask. It came down to which party you supported and which part of the US you lived in. In terms of Black Black Lives Matter, you, you write movingly, my, uh, Brian, about your little girls, how that, it captured their imagination. Yeah, and what was fascinating, being in America with Lucy and Aaron, who were now only eight and 11 and obviously younger when we arrived four years ago, was seeing these huge world-changing global events through their eyes and getting their reaction. And I remember with the Black Lives Matter protest movement, there'd been a particularly big riot, if you will, in Washington one of the nights. Uh, some looters and vandals had damaged a lot of shops and properties close to where we live. And my daughter, Lucy, who would have been 10 at the time, was scared. And she said, Daddy, should we be worried? You know, we live nearby. Will they come to the houses? I said, no, they won't. That's not what they're interested in. So, but what was nice, I suppose, was there was this kind of this evolution where a negative aspect of that movement scared her, but then she very much embraced the positive messages of the movement. And the, I recall in the book, there was one moment where she went out with her friend and they had placards and chalk and they said, we're going to the local Black Lives Matter protest. There was protests time. And I said, oh, that's interesting. So I went up to check on them a bit later and it was just her and her friend. There was nobody else there. And I said, did nobody else turn up? And they said, oh, no, this was our protest. So she wanted to hold her own little protest on the street corner. So that was the nice part. And the publishers of the book, Penguin, when they approached me, they said, look, we want, yes, we want to hear a lot about Donald Trump. Yes, we want to hear about Black Lives Matter, Joe Biden, coronavirus, but we also want to hear about you, your family, what they made of it all. So I think if people get the book, they will see this kind of behind the scenes look and just what it was like to see it the eyes of the children, through the eyes of my wife and through the eyes of us as a family. Particularly the idea where you you got to always carry a suit jacket and tie in the car, because in the middle of a family holiday, you've got to find a place to do a to do a TV report. Like that's, I like the way you wrote that in, Brian. It wasn't just a straightforward, you know, news report on the. It was it was it because it is being it's such a job, like you're saying, a cauldron like that. It does involve your whole family. You've got to have a very very understanding family, and you do. Absolutely. And I've been incredibly lucky. My wife, Joanna, the two girls, Lucy and Aaron, they've been so there for me and supportive. And yes, many's the family holiday, many's the weekend away. Uh, you're doing your thing. And I recall in the book, the moment you're referring to that, we were on a kind of a beach holiday in South Carolina in late May and George Floyd was killed and the protest movement kicked off. So I had packed the suit, although I tell the story that it was in the, the 30s, maybe even the high 30s, the temperature. So it was a suit on the top half and a shorts on the bottom half. I'm on the balcony of a beach apartment doing this report, kind of hoping the viewer at home won't be kind of wondering too much, where where's yeah. your man? And that was the nature of the breaking news. And then we kind of cut that short holiday a little short and came back. And I'm not for a moment complaining about that PJ I knew it was going to be like that I embraced that or importantly my family knew it was going to be like that and they embraced that it was a four year adventure like a roller coaster ride I describe it and it was just wonderful every step of the way so so what next when you come back Brian would you be will you be Dublin or Cork based what do you, what, what happened I know you come back and there is a job in RTE but do you know what you'll be doing 
No, I don't yet. And yes, as you say, that's the deal. You come back and you are given a job back in the RTE newsroom. I don't exactly know what yet. I would hope from our own personal family perspective, it would be Dublin-based. My mm. wife, Joanna, is a teacher in a Dublin school. Adamstown Educate Together, they've been very good to give her a four-year career break mm. so that she could join the US. So it's time for her to... Would you, would you like to, to be on the politics beat? Um, I keep a very open mind, PJ. You know, uh, the RTE newsroom is, we're very lucky. Uh, lots of different specialities, lots of different areas. Like, I look back over my career. I ended up, uh, I started in local radio in Cork. Then I moved on to uh, TP3. I ended up being a finance and business correspondent there. Ended up in Washington. I have had a wide breadth of experience. So I never rule anything in or out. It's great to sort of uh, see what's out there and to look at different opportunities. All right, listen, it's a great book. I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, Brian. And, and thank you very much for being with us on the Opinion line. Brian O'Donovan, a Washington correspondent, RTE, outgoing Washington correspondent, and the author of a fine book called Four Years in the Cauldron, which is out now. And in actual fact, both himself and his predecessor, Katrina Perry, Katrina wrote an excellent book at the end of her time, I think it was called In America, uh, about how Trump actually won the election. That was her, her, the focus. This one is the, the re elect, or the, his attempted re election, and the, the way it all fell apart. It, it's Superbook. Well worth a read. Thanks, Brian. 1857 to the Liam Neeson ad without a little bit of a snigger. <laughs> Ever since I got a notion one morning inside in the production room. Do you remember what we, did? we played it before? If you get a vaccine, please give a vaccine by going to unicef.ie today. If you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. <laughs> You'll never be able to listen to the ad again with a straight face. 1850-715-996. Today is International Menopause Day. Did you know that? No, neither did I until I looked at the date. But one thing we have come across a lot of in recent times is hearing more and more about younger women going through a thing called perimenopause in their 30s and 40s. And one of those women was Louise George, who joins me now. Louise, good morning. Good morning. What is good morning. perimenopause? And, and at what point did you realise there's something going on here that I need to know about? Well, I have to say, I don't think I was particularly young. I actually went through, started through perimenopause at about age 45. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that I didn't know I was going through it until I hit 50. And it was as though when I hit my 50th birthday everything changed really suddenly. But that's when I started to have a change in my cycle. So then I was alerted to something's going on. Mm. But retrospectively, I realised it had been going on for years and I hadn't known. And I think that's because women don't talk about it. But actually, as you said, something like one in a hundred women go through menopause at age 40. 
But perimenopause can go on for kind of eight to 10 years before your periods stop. So it's a transition that goes on for up to a decade. And, and I don't think a lot of women are aware of that, you know. So, so what was it? And, and looking back now, were there things that you, you missed, shall we say? Yeah, well, you see, when you first start into perimenop- <clears throat> perimenopause, your progesterone is the first of your hormones to kind of go down. Now, progesterone is the hormone that really stabilizes our mood. And so when that starts going down, a woman can have a burst of energy. So they've still got plenty of estrogen. In fact, they might be estrogen dominant and they can start new projects. They might start a business. You know, they have that kind of energy, but they're not as grounded. So they might be anxious. And I definitely felt that. So I started a business in my mid 40s, but I actually did have that kind of I wasn't sleeping very well. I was anxious. It was a nervous energy. But then mm. later in at a later stages, your estrogen, which is fluctuating throughout that time then starts to kind of go down then you can really hit this sort of like a lack of energy and you're starting to get more and more symptoms headaches you know sore breasts bloating heavy Mm. periods it's it kind of is a gradual decline in hormones so it's uh, it's different for every woman though as well i think so is perimenopause like a kind of a mental menopause as it were before the body itself begins to change well it, it, it's both really it's just that i think sometimes you see i think a lot of women get prescribed antidepressants when they're going through perimenopause because they are struggling with their moods they're having what looks like you know really pmt but it, it can look like anxiety and depression and actually maybe what they need is some help with their hormones to replace, you know, hormones that are changing, but they're given antidepressants, which I think, and actually, you know, the highest rate of suicide in women is between 51 and 54, which is really at the height of that sort of menopausal change and that loss of estrogen, which I think is really, really interesting and concerning, actually, Mm. because I think it's a hard time for a lot of women. But as you said, it can start even in their 30s. And I think you can have women in their late 30s and early 40s trying for babies who are actually in perimenopause and don't even know it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is kind of, it's, a, it's an indictment, isn't it, of our system, Louise, that we yep. 50% of the population go through exactly. this as part of their lives. Exactly. And yet med- medicine seems somewhat unprepared, to say the least, for, for yeah, many, I had, many I, elements of it. I have an amazing doctor and she was on HRT herself, but I actually still went to a menopause specialist because she did all of the checks, you know, and I think a lot of doctors, they think that the HRT that people are being offered is the same HRT that they were offered 15 and 20 years ago. And it's changed an awful lot. The HRT that I'm on is made from yams, which and it used to be made from horse's urine. So that's a big difference, you know. But I think one of the things that I really feel is I'm a yoga teacher and I'm a counsellor and I see a lot of women who are working full time. You know, they've got elderly parents, they've got young children or teenagers. They're really burning out because they're not getting this support. And that is something I'm really, you know, I feel really keenly about doing something mm-hmm. about. So I'm a group in a group of women called the Menopause Mentors. And we are holding, we just formed, we're on Instagram, the Menopause Mentors. You can find us there. But we have an event coming up on Halloween. And Halloween is the perfect time because I think that, you know, wise old women used to often be called witches. <laughs> Um, so 12 to 4 on Halloween in the Cork International Hotel, we're running an event and it's about supporting women, you know, so women from their late 30s and up um, would be, you know, great 
to come to that event and get that information and get that support. We've got Dr. Fiona Barry there, who is a, a real hormone specialist. Um, so there's, you know, it's going to be a great event. But I do think women need support, for sure. You talk about listening to one's body. Um, and yeah. looking back at your own time, and like you say, a number of years, you didn't know what was going on. Now that you do know what was going on, were there th- were there signs your body was giving you that you either ignored or just pressed through? Well, I think women, you know, our bodies change all the time. And I mean, I've had children, so I've been through pregnancies. And, you know, I think we have a lot of fluctuations even month to month. So, but I, in retrospect, I think mine were, you see, I, as I said, I'm a counsellor and I'm a yoga teacher so I'm quite in touch with both my feelings and my body and I knew there were things going on and I was getting things checked out individually I had a lot of palpitations I got them checked out you know I had some breast tenderness I got a mammogram done there was a lot of individual things that I was getting checked out but actually they I didn't realize that they all came under the umbrella of perimenopause and when I I did training in that because I'm trained in yoga for menopause um and started looking into it for myself, I realized, you know, this is what it is. But I, how did I not know that? <laughs> hmm. And I think there's be, lots of women. There used to be this thing with HRT as well, that doctors weren't inclined to put you on it. There was this thing about it being, uh, causes cancer and all of that. Yeah, there's a lot breast of old, old beliefs that just aren't true. I know. And I think there are actually still a lot of doctors out there that still believe that, which is really worrying. You know, I've heard lots of stories from women saying, oh, my doctor wouldn't put me on it. In fact, I just taught a yoga class this morning for a group of senior ladies in 60 plus. And as they were leaving, I told them I was coming on the radio. And one of the ladies said, gosh, I went through um, a hysterectomy and had my ovaries removed in my early 40s. And they put me on HRT. But then when I hit 60, my doctor just said, you need to come off it. And, and I'd say that was the old style of HRT, come off it. And she said, I just crashed into, you know, menopause so quickly. And she said it mm. was horrendous. It was, but she got no support with that, you know, just come off it and there you go, get on with it. And there was probably lots of things. I think there is something like 50 different variations of HRT that you can come up with. That's you know, right. it's not just one way. Yeah, That's right. The, I mean, the NHS does say on its official documents that there is a there is a cancer risk. And an awful lot of doctors were refusing to put people on it, particularly younger women, because of the cancer risk. But again, that, that science seems to have changed a little bit. Yeah, so the, for anybody listening yeah. who might be feeling a bit off at the moment... What advice would you give them? Well, I think, you know, go to see a menopause specialist. Go go and see somebody that really has trained in hormones and really knows their stuff. Because, as I said, I think a lot of doctors, they know a little bit, but they don't know a lot. And I would say this is a time in your life where you do need to listen in and maybe slow down. I think we, as I said, you know, women are doing an awful lot. And we it's almost like we're on this treadmill and we can't get off, you know. It's like your body changes, but everything else is going at the same pace. And I think compassion for yourself and kindness at this time is so, so important. Um, because we do tend to kind of, you know, just say, pull your socks up and get on with it. And I think that's the attitude a lot of the time from society. You know, think a bit about women. A lot of women give up work when they're going through perimenopause and menopause because workplaces don't really take into account that a woman is different to a man, you know, and the things that they're dealing with are different. So I think be very kind to yourself, get really good advice, come to our event because we can give you a lot of that advice then. Um, Mm. 
and seek out support. That's what we want to create is support for women because I think it's long overdue. Yeah, they call it the change for a reason. You are changing. They do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Listen, I appreciate you being with us today. That's Louise George of the Menopause Mentors. You'll find them on Instagram. A group of Cork women who've gotten together to launch the Menopause Mentor. I have a friend who went through menopause, is going through menopause at less than 30 years of age. And the effects it has on you are, I, I'd hate to be a woman. I don't know how anyone does it. I really don't. I really don't. As men, we get away with war, lads. We get away with murder. Before I get my increase, petrol last week was 166, now it's 176. I got a letter from air to say my phone bill's going up 6 euro. My fiver a week is gone before I even get it. That's it. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.